0: Just move this back, otherwise I'm sort of a little bit too close. Another passage of scripture that I'd like to draw your attention to this morning is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm just going to read a few verses, verse 15 and then verses 19 to 24. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And from verse 19, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord "'knows those who are his, "'and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord "'must turn away from wickedness. "'In a large house there are articles "'not only of gold and silver, "'but also of wood and clay. "'Some are for noble purposes "'and some for ignoble. "'If a man cleanses himself from the latter,' He will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the Master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolishness and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. You now, um, I often talk to older people, not in this church, but in in other churches in other places and they tell me oh, the church is dying. Oh, my church is closing and we're having to move over and join with another church now. And they give me all these woes of how the church is dying. Is that scriptural? Because when I read the scriptures, it tells me that God himself has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I want to declare to you today from the Bible that God is building his church. God is building his church. I believe it because he said it. His spirit is at work in the lives of all who honour him and who have yielded themselves to his ultimate wisdom and authority. And there is a challenge in that, to yield yourself to the ultimate wisdom and authority of God. Having said this, this does not mean that we have become mindless robots devoid of all rational thinking choice and responsibilities. We are not like the Borg in Star Trek. Anybody here a Star Trek fan? Oh come on! <laughs> Am I alone a Star Trek fan? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yes, <laughs> you have been watching the Borg. Yes, it's these Borg. They are humanoids that have been taken over by machines and they, they have no cognitive function of their own. They don't think for themselves. They're mindless. They just do what the collective demands of them. Well, don't be like that. Don't be like that. On the contrary, for Christians, we're not like the Borg. Because the Spirit of God dwells within us, we now have a freedom that we never knew and never enjoyed before. We are free. Free from the mindlessness of mantras and, and philosophies that demand people of the world just to follow along. A lot of our kids are being taught stuff in school, but they're not being taught necessarily to think for themselves, to work things out, to use rational thinking. What they are being taught is, oh, this is what so-and-so says, and therefore it's unquestioned. And that gets passed on to the next generation and the next generation. And we've got a world out there who is following philosophies and they don't know why. They don't know why. They've never really sorted it out in their own mind. They are like the Borg and resistance is futile. Well, not in Jesus it's not. Before the Lord Jesus came into our lives, we were slaves. Like robots, we were slaves to sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 We were like the Borg. But in Jesus now, we've been set free. And no matter how hard we tried before, We always seemed to go from one crisis or uncertainty to another. And our lives were devoid of God's joy and peace because we were hindered from knowing him. Sin locked us in and it felt futile to resist. Now, however, because of what the Lord has done for us, We have true freedom because we now have the privilege of knowing the heart, the mind, and the will of God. And with His strength and enabling, we can choose His way in our lives. We do that because we have the freedom to read the Bible for ourselves, we have the freedom to pray through the Scriptures. We have the freedom to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us his word. However, it does not end here. Our life in Jesus is not about a single decision made in a moment of time, like the time when we first came and stood up the front of a church and gave our life to the Lord in prayer, or the time when we were baptised in the baptistry. Our true Christian life is not about a moment-in-time experience. As followers of the Lord Jesus, daily we have the privilege of making decisions and taking action. The Christian life is very much a day-by-day, moment-by-moment life with God. Once we just followed the crowd and blended in, without a thought to the potential consequences. Now, every day is filled with challenges, opportunities, and responsibilities as we apply our God-given wisdom and discernment to make godly decisions and choices that will not only affect us, but those around us as well. As such we now see the world from a whole new perspective. Not just as we've been taught. We see the world from a whole new perspective and we begin to see it from God's perspective. And I like this. You know, that's not how the world see... That's not how everyone else in the world sees the world, is it? This is how I see the world now. Australia's at the top. And who's to say that's wrong? It's quite logical. All the heavy land mass is down at the bottom. Isn't that logical? So, that's how I view the world today. But more importantly, this is how I view God in his relationship with the world. He's got us in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. of this new understanding and this new appreciation of the privileges that we have in the Lord Jesus, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy while he was at Ephesus. To put it in context, our reading this morning is usually accepted as being the last letter that Paul wrote before he was martyred under the Neronian persecutions. Do you remember the Emperor Nero went out and uh, burned um, Rome and blamed the Christians and it set in train a whole lot of persecution and many believers were martyred at that time. They used to tie them to stakes on the, wall, the top of the wall of the Colosseum. They would douse them in oil and then they would light the oil and it provided light for all the contests that were taking place in the Colosseum. The Christians would burn, providing light for Nero's entertainment. Horrible stuff. It's at that time that Paul was martyred. At Ephesus, we know that Paul had left Priscilla and Aquila, a godly couple, to continue the work of God and strengthen the early church. They had established a church in their own home, 1 Corinthians 16, 19. And they were still there when Paul wrote his letter to Timothy. We know that because he says it in 2 Timothy four nineteen. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were an unusual couple, both faithfully and godly people, Now, normally when you're talking about a couple like this, it was protocol that you would put the man's name first. And in the early letters of Paul, in the early journeys of Paul, when he first met them, it was Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila being the man, Priscilla being the woman. But later on, once the church was established, Paul writes and he affirms them as Priscilla and Aquila. He reverses the order. He makes Priscilla, the woman, the primary one in the the record. It is obvious that she was the main pastor of the early church at Ephesus. Yeah. In the Christian community, here was a woman... Doing a mighty work for God, and her husband was supporting and backing her up. That's a good example. Paul also mentions in this same letter his friend Onesiphorus and his family who had been such a help, such a comfort, and such a blessing to Paul. And it was to this faithful group of believers that Paul wrote these words Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Initially, of course, it was to Timothy. But this letter, what didn't just go into Timothy's pocket, it was also given to the whole church there at Ephesus. So it was also to Priscilla and Aquila and Onesiphorus and his family, And it has been passed down to us today. And the message of this verse is just as relevant for us as it was to them. Be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. To be sure, people like Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus were faithful workers for God offering hospitality and spreading the message of Jesus. But like all of us, they needed affirmation. They needed encouragement in their ongoing service for the Lord. We need to encourage one another. We need to encourage those who are doing work for God. How often do you go up to Pastor Glenn and Lorna and encourage them in the work that they're doing in the life of the church? Don't assume that they don't need it. They do. They do. There is a powerful dynamic, a powerful dynamic in all we are able to do for the Lord. And you never know when the Lord will use you and me to do his mighty work in the lives of others. As we serve, we do well To be clear headed and focused in what we seek to do for the Lord. And in any ministry that we undertake, be assured we are not merely filling a gap, we are not merely child minding or going through the motions. Every work of service that we do is important, is valuable. And we need to prepare ourselves. We need to do it well. And we need to be prayerfully expectant of a worthwhile outcome. And we need to encourage one another. Paul urged Timothy and the others not to be ashamed of their faith and love for the Lord. All too often, we shrink back from our open witness for the Lord because we think that we might offend someone. We have an opportunity to talk of God, to talk of Jesus, and we keep our mouths shut or we say, oh, what about the weather tomorrow? What, What do you think the weather's going to be? We change the subject because we think if we talk to that person about Jesus that we might offend them. Well, this is nonsense, because it may be the only opportunity that you have in actually talking with them about Jesus. I know, uh, I knew a, a family years ago in Mornington, and uh, mother and father, and they had two, two girls. They were twins, and the father was a, a godly man in the church. And uh, the girls wanted to do something that uh, the father was, no, no, that's not right. That's not appropriate. And the girls didn't like what Dad was saying. And so they argued and they yelled and they screamed at him. He said, no, look, this is not right. And they abused him and everything and they ran out. They went for a walk for an hour. When they came back, they walked into the kitchen, and there was their father dead on the floor. He'd had a heart attack and died. For years, those girls were filled with regret because the last words that they spoke to their father were words of anger. They had failed to ever say to him how much they loved and appreciated him. You never know, you never know when you're going to have the last opportunity to share with people how special Jesus is in your life. So don't plan, oh, I'll do it next month or I'll wait for a better opportunity later on. It may never come. Seize the day, carpe deum seize the day. It's always now is the opportunity. We cause greater offence with our silence and inaction. And if we, in talking with someone, they are offended, let it be the offence of the cross and not the offence of our silence. On public transport, We do do not be afraid to talk with people about the love of God. My mother, in her in her late 70s, early eighties, she'd get on a bus and she'd always go and try and sit near a young lady who was going to the university because she was on the university route. And my mother would start chatting with her. And she would always talk with her about Jesus. And she'd always leave the girl with a little card just with a piece of scripture on it. At, that, at the age of 80, that was my mum's ministry to young women. Don't be afraid to talk to others. When in a restaurant, don't be afraid to give thanks to God for the food you will eat. So people are going to watch you pray. So what? You give God the thanks. Thanks. And if the waitress is there with the food, she can put it in front of you, that's all right. She can hear your words of adoration to God, that's okay. Don't be embarrassed about publicly praying. When camping or travelling with friends, do not be afraid to make the Lord Jesus a part of your time together with your friends. And let your love and faith in God shine through in all that you do and say been a faithful worker for God. In this verse, Paul also urged Timothy and also urges us to rightly divide the word of truth. God's word is truth and we should handle and use it with great respect and honour because it's not for us to add our own interpretations or musings and convey it as if that's scriptural. It's not. If we've got our own thoughts, say, oh, and this is how I understand this verse. But let the scripture stand for the scripture. Understand what has been written. The context in in which it was written and the people to whom it was written. This is why we need to be part of a home group, a Bible study group. If you're not part of a Bible study group, how else are you going to learn? You need to hear the opinions of other people, how they understand these words. And it may be that you need to be in that group to correct them. To understand the context, the people to whom it was written, and the intended response of the author of that passage and how it applies to your own life today if we disagree or have issue with what god has said it's not for him to adjust his thinking to suit our culture and time it's for us to modify our thinking and behaviours to accord with god amen how often In years past, have I been part of Bible study groups, and a person has said to me, Ah, but that was back then, but today this is what we do. What? Since when is the Old Testament and the New Testament of no relevance for us today? Many years ago, I, I knew a lady, she was in a Methodist church, this was before uniting. She was in a Methodist church. She was a lovely, godly lady, and in that church, there there came a fellow who he was one of these ministers who was modernistic, you know, universalist. All roads lead to heaven. Um, to be a minister was more a career path for him rather than a personal conviction or faith relationship with God. My father had issue with this minister on a number of occasions he was in this church for three years and invariably he would get up and he would read the passage and he would say, oh but you can't really take that these days because that was for then and not for today and he would be pulling down the scriptures all the time, all the time, all the time. After three years he was invited to move on and uh, anyway his last Sunday he thanked everybody and uh, there was a like a lunch or a morning tea or something. And this lady, this faithful lady, came up and said, Pastor, I'd like to give you uh, a gift. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. So she handed him a Bible. And he said, oh, thank you. You know, you know, every minister, we've got more than one Bible, haven't we? I think I've got about seven or eight, but anyway. Um, you can never have too many he got this Bible, and he opened it. And all through it, all the pages had sections cut out. And he said, well, what, 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 what do you mean by this? And she said, well, Pastor, every time you told us that um, we 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 didn't need to believe that, or or this wasn't relevant for today, or um, God's changed His mind on something. I would take that piece of I'd take that passage and I'd cut it out because you were saying we didn't need it anymore, and this is what's left. Now she was a bit rude to do that, I think, but it got the point across. <laughs> And for recollection, I don't think he lasted in the ministry very much longer. Because he had nothing to give. He wasn't being filled by the Spirit of God. So he had nothing more to say. If we disagree with the Word of God, it's not for God to change. It's for us. To be sure, if you work hard at it, you can always take the words of Scripture and twist them to justify anything that you may want to say. But that's not rightly dividing the word of truth. That's just corrupting the word of God. Let's face it. How often have you heard people say things that sound biblical but aren't? Let me give you a few suggestions here. A few examples. Um, I'll just change my glasses here. Have you ever heard anyone say, "Money is the root of all evil"? And I've heard people in the church say this. That is not actually scriptural. Read 1 Timothy 6:10. What does it tell you? The love of money. Money itself is neutral. It's our attitude that's the problem. Another one, God will never give you more than you can handle. I mean, it sounds nice and sounds pretty biblical, but check it with 1 Corinthians 10.13. If you work hard, you will be successful. A lot of Pentecostal churches uh, like this one. Uh, If you work hard, you'll be successful. A lot of parents love this one to their children, especially if the kids are just sitting in front of the TV or playing games all the time. Check it out with Luke eleven nine 9 and Romans 8, 28. Here's another one. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Now, who hasn't heard that one quoted? Who hasn't said it? <laughs> Check it out with Luke 6, 31. A God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, yes, we all like that, and it sounds pretty biblical, but check it out with Jeremiah 29.11. And, of course, this is one that I like. God helps those who help themselves. And I have heard that in churches. I have heard that from the pulpit when I was younger. Hands up those who have heard that one before. God helps those who help themselves. It sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, it's got the word God in it, so it must be in the Bible. In actual fact, it's not in the Bible at all. Not at all. And the last one, to thine own self be true. Well, obviously, if it's got the word thine in it, so it's Old English, so it must be biblical, King James Version. Not at all. It's actually Shakespearean. We've got to be very careful with what we say and with what we hear. Because things might sound biblical, that doesn't make them biblical. Check it out in the Word of God. You have a responsibility to actually open the Bible and check these things out for yourself because there's a lot of misquoting going on there. In verse 19, Paul then wrote, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having the seal... The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Don't think that you can name the name of Christ and just continue on with your worldly lustful livings. That is not on. God is a God of love but there are things at which he draws the line. Rasputin never realised that. He was a very licentious priest in Russia at the turn of the 20th century. And uh, he presumed on the grace of God and kept his licentiousness going. But in this verse... This verse 19, Paul affirmed that the relationship we have with God has two parts. The first is that God knows those who are in a right relationship with Him. God will not be fooled, He cannot be tricked by any show of false religiosity. You might think that you can fool others. You can put on a show of piety and everything like that and being a very good, nice person. You could fool me. That's okay. What's not okay is that you can't fool God because He knows your heart. Luke sixteen, fifteen. God knows your heart. You'll never fool him. The second lesson from the verse is that if we are genuine in our decision for the Lord, the fruit of that decision will be evident in the way that we shun all sin, evil, deceit and corruption. It will be seen in the fruit of how we live our lives of honesty and integrity before God. As Paul wrote in verse 21... If anyone cleanses himself from dishonour, he will be a vessel for honour, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. God will know the fruit of your life. It's not just a matter of being a good person and going to church every Sunday and saying your prayers of the night by your bed God knows whether you are genuine or not He, He will know whether your faith is a matter of habit or a matter of conviction and this is a wonderful challenge for all of us regardless of age Education or life experience to be human vessels that live to honour, for, honour and glorify God and to be useful to God every day we must make the decision to turn away from all that diminishes all that hinders and all that corrupts us from serving God every day we need to be in that place where God is able to use us and work through us for the spiritual welfare and well-being of others and for the glory, praise and honour of God. Only in this way can we be truly approved workers for the Lord. To further illustrate or stress his point to Timothy, Paul urges that we flee from youthful lusts But what does this mean? Verse 22, what does it mean? To be sure, youthful lusts include such things as the lust for money, the lust for recognition. You know, uh, what was it, the film, the uh, show on TV, Kath and Kim, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yes, that desire for recognition. The lust for power and control. The unbridled entertainment of impure fantasies and ideas, including things like pornography and gratuitous violence. Flee from these things. Young people today are being bombarded by these games of gratuitous violence, to the point that even the schools are now putting out warnings against some of them. What kind of generation are we breeding by allowing this sort of violence on their iPads and games machines, and then we wonder, when a woman is brutally raped and murdered in a park, we wonder, oh, this is terrible. How did this happen? Because we haven't taken the time to tell our young people these things of violence are not acceptable. We've given them the games to play the violence. As it was in the days of Paul, so it is today. People can so easily get caught up in those things that only serve to take us away from our true life in Christ Jesus. To counter this in verses 22 and 23, Paul urges us to pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart and to avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. In these words, Paul sets for us an example of how we are to live before God it may not be cool as the world says it may not be sophisticated it may not be exciting or trendy but a life lived to give all glory and honour to God is a life lived without unfulfillment without confusion without dissatisfaction without dishonour and without regret I am happy not to be following the way of the world because my life is very fulfilled. I am not confused. I am not dissatisfied. I have honour from those around me who care for me and I have no regrets now. I used to. I used to but then Jesus came into my life. In his first letter to Timothy, Paul urged his young protégé, 1 Timothy 4:12, "Let no one despise your youth, be an example to the believers in word in conduct in love in spirit in faith and in purity." And to be sure, Paul's instruction and example was consistent to the end, both in written word and in action. Paul was an approved worker for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the challenge is before us today. Will you strive to be an approved worker for God? That's the challenge To be sure, in the world of today, it's not easy. In so many ways, when we seek to live our lives according to God's revealed word of scripture and by following the example of the Lord Jesus, we may experience ridicule and even abuse. But we do not live to please mankind. We live to please and honour God. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? That's the choice. I either choose the world's way and have them say of me, oh, he's a nice nice man. I used to have an aunt who used to say, oh, you're a nice boy. (laughs) Or do we choose to have God say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We've got a choice to make. To make no choice is to sit on the fence, and you know what? Who you know what happens to those who sit on the fence? They get splinters in their backside. Simple. In our continuing life and witness for the Lord, as an approved worker for God, may we be wise stewards of all of God's gifts to us, faithful in the study of God's word and in prayer, be willing to teach and equip God's people, be faithful and true in our service toward others and have a heart of generosity, Honesty, integrity, and trustworthiness to all people. In all these ways and more, may our love and devotion toward God be evident to all who meet us. And as we close, may I draw your attention to the many men, women, and young families from this church who, over the years, over a period of 50 years, Many have gone out to serve God in many places around the world. Some have been on short-term trips. Others have given years, decades, of their lives in holy service. They will never be given any national or international awards because much of what they have done is behind the scenes. Instead, They have sought to live authentically for the Lord and be approved workers for him. Truly, they remain examples for us of what we can do wherever God has planted us and wherever he calls us to be. To him be all the glory. And before you go tonight, well, this morning, this afternoon, I'll get it eventually, Before you leave this place, we're going to be singing another song. And I urge you, if you have never signed, sealed and delivered your life into the Lord's hands, I ask you this morning to come and publicly do that at the front. Pastor Glenn will be up here. Come and stand with him as a symbol of that from today, your life is all for Jesus. And if it leads on to baptism and church membership in this church, well and good, but let today be the beginning of a new life.
1: Thank you, Pastor Bruce, for challenging us and stirring our hearts, as always, and we thank God for you. Uh, Just a reminder to further what Pastor Bruce said, tomorrow night you can come, 7.30, uh, Billy Morgan, an American young man, uh, probably in his 30s. I met him for about half an hour, very fine young man, very uh, eloquent wonderful, it would be wonderful to learn some skill in handling the scripture, and throughout my conversation with him, he kept saying, yes sir, yes sir, Yeah, thank you sir, thank you sir, for a moment I thought I was a major in the army, Uh, so come, come, he's a very fine uh, young man, and and come and be equipped to learn how to handle the scripture, some basic principle, uh, especially for those who are leading a group in 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 a small group. Shall we stand as we close a wonderful uh, song that we're going to sing and ex- once again proclaiming that God, the God that we worship, sure is a great God. The splendor
2: of a king clothed in majesty. Let all the earth rejoice. All the earth rejoices He wraps himself in light And darkness tries to hide And trembles at his voice Trembles at his voice How great is our God Sing with me, how great is our God, and all we'll will see how great, how great is our God. Age to age, she stands. And time. The Lion and the Lamb The Lion and the Lamb How great is our God Sing with me How great is our God And all will see How great, how great is our God Name above all names
1: Thank you, Lord, that we can all stand and affirm and sing that the God that we worship is a great God. Thank you for reminding us. It's not about God helps those who help themselves. Maybe that is true before taking an exam. But salvation is theologically definitely incorrect, that God saves those who can't help themselves. Thank you that you save us Therefore you send Jesus to die for us Because you know That we can't save ourselves Thank you Lord We bless you We declare together That this is the God that we worship How great Our finite mind can never comprehend This amazing God we worship Thank you Lord May the Lord walk beside you uh, To comfort you May the Lord walk above you To watch over you May the Lord walk behind you to keep you safe and may the lord walk before you to show you the way may the amazing grace of our lord jesus christ his unconditional love and the amazing empowering fellowship of the holy spirit be with you all now and forevermore amen